podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And today we have Anders Ankerlid, uh, CEO of A Good Company, a serial e-commerce entrepreneur and father of three. He's worked in e-commerce for more than a decade, and he is a mindless consumption activist, meaning he is not promoting mindless consumption. I'm assuming against it, against mindless consumption. <laughs> yeah, well, Anders is not mindless. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Anders. Thank you so much for having me here in Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, you mentioned it's 9.30 p.m. over there right now. I appreciate you joining us in this evening hour, coming in from your run. Really excited to talk with you about this idea as someone who cares deeply about the environment. I, When I saw what uh, you're doing with a good company, that really resonated with me, and I was excited at how successful you've been able to, to be with that company and how quickly you've been able to get that off the ground. We will have some time to talk a little bit about that at the end of the episode, and we'll certainly pull some lessons uh, from your experience there throughout the discussion. But the point of our podcast is to talk through a completely new business idea or new business opportunity available uh, to folks out there. So let's kick things off. Tell us about the idea that you would like our listeners to run with. Yeah, sure. So one of the major hurdles running an e-commerce company is obviously returns and when things go sour. If you have ever touched base on a e-commerce company, either as a consumer or as running it, you are fully aware of that returns is like one of the major hassles. And there's been some good innovations. I spotted a company called Happy Returns just the other week who set up like small kiosks where you don't have to throw things in like the cardboard boxes and so on. But I think the typical philosophy, if you buy a, let's say that you buy a, buy a pair of jeans and it doesn't fit, is that you have to put it back in a box, send it back. And typically it's the company that pays for that. And if you have that a few times, it's a loss. And on the other side, I think it was one or two weeks ago when I was up a little too late, <laughs> I saw a YouTube video about e-waste. And it was like 20 minutes, a UN, like United Nations study about how much we produce of e-waste, of small electronics, and how complex it is to recycle it properly. And most of these items then ends up in landfill, like 90% ends up in landfill. And they are quite uh, bad for the environment they are quite bad for landfill and it actually lives a lot of people also close and related to landfills and they can get these ugly metals in so then i figured that maybe you can do something positive with these returns and basically while sending out the first item just add in a small envelope or something similar and then people who has a lot of e-waste as we have uh back in our apartment we have a box full of cords, old things that doesn't work, and old cell phones, uh, which we doesn't do anything positive with. And you can just bring them back in the same package you're already about to send, so there wouldn't be a new sending things. 
and then it's uh, properly collected in bulk. I think Apple put it out how much value there actually are if you can handle the actual recycling. So it's about building up a circularity system of things that already exists. So that's the idea. And I'm sure it has 200 million complex things to solve, but it will be quite good to increase the ratio of this e-waste and maybe bring it up to like switch it from 90% uh, just getting discarded today to maybe 90% getting recycled and get a second life. Waste is definitely a complicated topic. I tried to start a business in the composting space uh, many years ago in New York City. And there's actually a lot of barriers in waste management. And there's also a lot of players who have various established advantages. So for example, in New York City, they had one place that you had to have a special license to collect waste. And that was a very expensive license. Uh, because it was for the big waste collection companies that would come around with the dump trucks and all that stuff. And you had all these kind of well-meaning people who they wanted to just do a compost pickup service on their bicycles. And they were being blocked um, by the government and maybe even by these other waste collection services. So they got to have the license law completely off the charts to afford that if you're just going to ride your bicycle around. Yeah, um, I think it's actually the same here in, at least in the Nordics, where where I'm having my home base. So we have, I would say, a proper recycling system. And that always strikes me that we have a really, like a functional recycling system. But electronic waste is still 60% there in the Nordics, even though the recycling system itself is so evolved and mature. But I think there's a law that you cannot bring other people's waste to the recycling there has been some disruptive players who offer themselves to basically as you were saying picking up by bikes or whatever pick up a lot of people's waste bring it there and then they charge for that service but that was i think it's been shut down yeah that's just politics i guess (laughs) what do you think chris is it doable I love the idea. I love the intent behind it, of course. The execution, I think, is the challenging piece here, which I'm excited to to dive into together. How can this be a profitable venture for uh, a company to bolt on this service? Yeah, so I think there are two ways for that. If we start with why I believe that you can get customers, I think... For the end consumer side, and this has always been my philosophy, if it's good for the end consumer, there's always a market. And I think it's a quite strong message for, let's take a big fashion brand who who has a desire to be more eco-friendly, to jump on something like this and communicate it out to their consumers. When I was a management consultant before, we had a lot of recycling companies as customers and it's very complex to be good at fractions. You're either very good into, I don't know, metal or aluminum or the other things just get sell through into other areas. But maybe there's a space where you can specialize into making e-waste. And I think the AirPod is the worst example. I have heard that it's like non-recyclable. But of course it is if you specialize it and they produce a couple of million of these. So there must be a lot of small valuable parts, which I hope that you can sell back to the manufacturers. Since I guess metal can be recycled forever. So I hope that the company itself can turn into maybe a reseller of raw materials, fine tuning, 
recycling processes out of a specific niche. And maybe this is correlated to why e-waste is just, I think it was like 50 million ton or something that was discarded a few years back, according to United Nations. And maybe it's, it's so complex since it, it takes a lot of different flavors. It's cords, it's cables, old phones or batteries or whatever it might be that no one gets like turning to an expert. If there are things that are very harmful to the environment, it must be a way to progressively address it. And since it doesn't work out really, then my family would have taken all of this box already, brought it to the recycling center, but it's been there and it's growing every year. So we are not doing anything with e-waste. And obviously the people that brings it back to recycling it doesn't get recycled. And then either people are just throwing it in the bin and they hope for the better that someone will put it out, which obviously is, is not happening. Or when they're actually turning it to the recycling centers, the recycling center cannot handle it properly and then it ends up at landfills. I'm, I'm trying to imagine, of course, as a group, we probably have really no idea how this stuff can get processed. But maybe I think when we talk about steps to get involved, I think that's something to look at. And oftentimes, at least as I looked at in terms of composting, there's different ways that it gets that it gets done. And there's things that happen in the existing waste processing system that we aren't really aware of. Well, a good example, New York City, they actually decided against having recycling uh, bins in the New York City subway system. But on top of that, what they do is they have people who actually sort out recyclable materials from the waste. So it's turned into a thing where, no, you can't really expect people to throw the recyclable things in the right container. Where it happens, the process happens after people discard of it and they start sorting things out. One idea, again, no expert in this, but I'm trying to think what, what, what makes taking all these electronic components, of course, they're valuable in the state that they're in because they've been assembled and put together and a transistor is different than its basic elements. But I'm wondering if, Maybe some of the solution with this is when you get the e-waste, it, it gets basically pulverized and then just re-separated out. And if there's a way to separate out the materials, taking the mercury out and using that. I worked at an oil refinery for six years, so I have a lot of experience with separating streams and, and quantifying the value and all that. Uh, I also consulted briefly with a, a waste management company um, in the Philippines. They were gasifying the trash that they had coming in and they knew what the composition of the trash was going to be ballpark just in general it's 12 percent plastic and there's this much percent glass and so they have that broken down so this is a, a similar type of problem it's just way more complex and way harder to separate out the pieces so the action step that came to mind for me immediately is quantifying what the individual components would be worth. And you can pick some easy items to start with, right? Your cord for your phone. Compared to a laptop, it's far fewer parts. And how much, if you were to disassemble that and extract the most valuable materials from that, how much would that cord be worth? It can't be worth more than $30 because that's how much you know, you're paying for the finished product. But that would give some sense of can this idea stand on its own or will there need to be some additional socioeconomic incentives in order to bolster the waste stream value? Yeah, 
maybe there's a few other rev streams maybe you can charge a little bit from the consumer who gets a headache out of the way since it's a, a related cost to do recycling at least here you have to drive a car or take a bike or spend a lot of time and here you basically just have to give it away to someone else what is the thing that drug addicts like steel is that copper or there is a material which is like copper is very expensive yeah yeah so the and I think that at least we have a core that we are selling mainly from like everything on the outside is recycled material. And I think it, I have cut a few of them and I think there is like a copper line within it. So if we stay with core for a little bit, there must be fractions there who obviously has a value in the raw material. And I think our family at least have, I don't know, 20 cables, which is not in use. So maybe if you're only starting with specializing in, in one of the things, maybe you can innovate a way where you can sell the most valuable materials. And then obviously most of the cores has plastic on the outside. So then you can ensure that you do proper recycling of them. To expand on what Chris said about how, you know, the original cords were $30 in as trash, it can't be worth $30. Maybe think of how a lot of these things end up having a negative value. So again, city of New York, what you know, I found out when I was researching the composting project is they spend millions of dollars a day just shipping their garbage off to other places. And other places make money by taking their garbage away. Yeah, that's about to stop, right? I think a lot of countries has permitted that, that we in the Western world needs to stop sending our garbage to the less fortunate. Yeah, I know China has stopped taking recyclables, where that has had the ripple effect in the US of a lot of recycling here ending up in landfills, because it, it still requires a person. That's just a strange thing to do, sending your things to another country on the other side of the world. <laughs> Yeah, and that's where I, I I come back to this idea that there needs to be some social socioeconomic incentive or government incentive, as Ethan is alluding to, in order to to prop this up because there are uh, what's the word? It's uh, uncounted externality, or maybe it's just externality is uh, it's not being accounted for. But fifty years down the line, we're going to pay the price because we have all these metals in our drinking water. I mean, the thing that I'm highlighting is there's an immediate price, not always obvious, but if you can get in alignment with the government and say, hey, I've got a company and what the company is going to do, it's going to remove 10% or 20%, whatever of your waste via, I'm going to get the electronics waste out of it. And you don't even sell it based on the pollution factor, but just to say, hey, pound for pound, you should save 10% of your budget for waste disposal if you can support this business. And then, you know, you can offer some incentives to uh, consumers to to send it in, things like that. But like following the money, right? Who has the most pain and money in this situation? Oftentimes it's the governments that are spending to ship and sort and deal with all this stuff. And there may be a way to get a grant or get them to participate in the operation of this kind of company. Yeah, we can speculate on this a lot when it comes to the pricing. And I think we're going to need to leave that as an action step for the listener to do some more research on how much uh, value there is left in the waste streams. I think it'd be useful for us to think about this, this opportunity going forward. Purely from a financial perspective, it may not pencil out. So we need to think creatively about other ways in which we can make it attractive to do this. 
but that's okay. One of the competitors that come to mind for an idea like this would be uh, someone like Apple itself. I know Apple offers a recycling program and it would be a net benefit for the world if they started taking AirPods and recycling them. But that's an existential risk to a company if you're specializing in AirPods recycling, because surely Apple would be able to do that better than you. Yeah, and I think that's amazing then, <laughs> since then we have recycled AirPods. <laughs> so it cannot be all about the money, I guess. But I think Best Buys has things you can collect outside. But if, coming back to this again, I think Apple has a recycling program, and Best Buy has these bins which you can throw in any type of recycling. And I think Dell has a similar program where you can hand in any type of computer. But if a thing like this can be, a, say, a bee that stings them to get people to wake up according to the responsibility. I mean, if, if you sell a bunch of AirPods, let's say that they have sold 2 million AirPods and it's been all over the news that they are impossible to recycling and even though they continue selling them, I think they should be ashamed of themselves not doing uh, a proper thing to make them easy to recycle or easy to deassembly and exchange. I had a few, now I'm wearing wired ones, but I had a few and then suddenly the left one stopped to work and they were just like, yeah, throw it away. I have used the Best Buy recycling program. That's where I currently take my, my stuff. Oh, you do? How does it work? Uh, they have bins out front in between the double doors of the entrance. And yeah, you can just drop it off directly in there. I think there are some limitations in terms of the total amount that you can bring in and, and the type of materials. And obviously during a pandemic, not as many people are going there. So there's certainly the online shopping aspect. What is happening with it afterwards? Are you aware? That's a that's a question that I'd pose to the listener as an action step. <laughs> I imagine that Best Buy has has uh, information on their website about what happens to it and, and why they're doing it. And that would be a, a mini research project for the listener as an action step. Find out why Best Buy is doing this, whether they're making any amount of money on it or whether they, they may consider it a marketing expense to uh, get people into the door. There is a movie, I forget the name of it, but I think if you look it up, you can find it. There's a woman who takes it upon herself to go and see where her trash and recycling go ultimately and she's devastated to find that so she, she spends all this time like cleaning out the peanut butter jar you know so that it's like perfect <laughs> to put it in recycling and all this stuff and she goes all the way to the sort of end of the line and they take all the recycling stuff and they dump it right back <laughs> in all the that's so sad i even wash that thing out yeah so yeah it is it's useful and informative i heard that this washing thing that people do my mother-in-law says as well it's totally useless <laughs> you don't have to do that they uh, clean it with like hot water with plastics is one example. I think that depends on the processor because I, I have heard here that if there is one unwashed peanut butter jar in the midst of otherwise clean recycling, at a certain percentage of dirty recycling, they just throw it all away. You know, this could also be uh, a brown M&M tactic. Are you, uh, are you familiar with the brown M&M? I am not, but I will be happy to be a light there, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in the, I don't, I haven't, I don't have the primary source on it, but I think it's in the Kiss uh, autobiography or something like that. And 
they would request all of these things on your rider. Oh, I want this hotel suite. I want these things in the refrigerator and I want a massage person to show up, whatever. And they would put on their list that they wanted, uh, I think it was like a rainbow colored M&M you know, a jar of them, but all the brown M&Ms removed or something like that, right? Like something very specific. And of course, from the outside perspective, it's like, oh, these decadent artists, they just want to make people do stuff and make things really difficult. And I don't even want brown M&Ms. And then within the book, it's revealed that it was all about testing to see whether they were paying attention. And they knew that if they didn't pay attention to the brown M&Ms, there's probably something else that was going to go wrong that was actually important, you know, with the show and the setup and everything. And so this, again, it's, it's useful to research in the details, especially from what I've seen in, in terms of the, the waste stream. They could be doing something like this just to keep people vigilant on some other, maybe it's not about that it's clean enough, but the fact that you separated it, but by yeah. asking you to do something as specific as cleaning it out and telling you you're going to get fined for this or whatever, they're sort of making the community do the right thing. Sure. Have you guys been to like large landfills? No. When I was a kid, they took us, which is, I think was a good thing. When I was a kid, they took us on a field trip. That's the last time I've been to a, a large landfill. Yeah. I was actually a few years back with one of our customers and the thing that one is that it stinks really as you can imagine a landfill and then it was like a mountain of just things and they had like trucks driving around and it's coming things but the thing that strikes me the most what it was actually small fires at all times so there were things burning and that can't be a good thing at a landfill where things who's that mixed up are burning and must leave like and i asked the site manager why is the fire there it starts somehow it gets hot something with the degradation process it's very hot when things are um, breaking down yeah and that was very scary so you were walking around there and then there was a fire and then you eventually there was a tire and then there was another fire and there was a lot of like different things so you should really you should bring your kids there do the same thing as as they did with you and just walk around, wear a mask. I want to take a slightly different angle on this in the time that we have left, uh, focus on maybe chipping away at this problem. We hinted at it with just focusing on uh, the power cords, for example. But I think uh, when I think about what is the the eighty twenty of this, what's the minimal behavior you can you can take in order to get people to to change their actions and recycle more of the electronics, right? And if we broaden the question to that. There are people who aren't as conscious as we are about uh, even segregating electronic waste. They just don't want to think about it and throw it right in the trash. I wonder if there is a more humble business opportunity to help shift some of those behaviors. And maybe it's a a bolt-on program for uh, trash collection companies, right? Where they have a little uh, dolly that they carry along in the back. Uh, where you can throw your electronic waste into that, or you have a separate bin. And that way it's minimal change to their behavior. And I realize that's an almost completely different idea from what we're talking about. But any thoughts on on other ways, or expand on what I just shared there, other ways to shift behavior for people who may not be um, currently thinking about it? Yeah. If we speak about behaviors a little bit, I spent a significant time reading books about behaviors just to try to understand why we act. And 
The strongest one is positive reinforcement and sharing your things you're doing positively. Like I was saying to you guys that I was just out for a run. It's just my about me bragging, but also giving positive reinforcement that I actually pushed myself, even though that I wasn't into any extent at all eager for a run today. So I think if you can give people doing recycling, and this, this must have been tried, but it's probably been tried on a very boring manner as governments and waste companies are doing maybe if you can give them something yeah maybe it's a good idea for let's say a local where you guys are a local recycling company for every like e-waste that's are delivered to the one whatever it is you get a recycled doll to bring back to your kids and the kids gonna love that usually the one that takes us on crazy train i've got a crazy train for today i like it yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, electronics are electronics. So they, they have electronic components and, and we're getting more and more sensors and little things that have detectors and, and, and sort of keys on them that you can identify them with. For tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's technology recycling system. But, you know, what if you had some sort of identifier piece of electronics um, that actually when people threw it in the trash, it went through a sensor? And if it was detected, you know, either you would get fined. <laughs> yeah. Or the other way around, rewarded. Or rewarded or both, you know, like, oh, so if you, if you put a certain amount of sensors, if we sense a certain amount of waste sensors in your, in your trash, yeah, you'll get a little bit of bonus on your, on, uh, on your taxes. I don't know, whatever. But, yeah. um, but I can imagine that, that we can start to implement some sort of sensor technology to at least put in place something where people can be, you know, even in your own trash can, right? You drop something in, boop, boop, doesn't go in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take it out. Yeah, take it out. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> take it out. <laughs> yeah. And I know that, what is the growth rate of IoT in uh, things? It's like a thousand percent or something yearly. It's like going to be in every component soon. Mm-hmm. So the fridge speaks to you and. I don't know, the shoes speaks to you and everyone's going to speak to you. <laughs> I'm the tech nerd in the, out of the duo here. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's something to that, Ethan, because if you think about the uh, contactless payments in your credit cards, right? That's no, there's no uh, power going to your credit card, but it's an RFID chip that will hear the, uh, the transceiver sending a message to it and then pings it back so it knows uh, so yeah, I think that it's getting to the point where that's cheap enough to be able to do it. Again, I think about externalities and the, in a broader, keep broadening this, but uh, CO2 emissions tracking, there's a, uh, an organization in the United States, it's called Citizens Climate Lobby, I believe, and they're pushing toward legislation for a cap and trade type of system, which has been talked about forever. But something similar to that could make sense for electronic recycling. Is this train happening in every episode? No, every once in a while. It's a, and it's you just have to be special. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the, I like the train uh, episode. <laughs> One of Chris's crazy train ideas was like somehow, it was like crowdsource writing of political you know, laws. Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't think that was that crazy, honestly. I think Iceland did it. <laughs> Another uh, Nordic area country. They uh, they crowdsourced their they legislation, their constitution. They rewrote the constitution via crowdsourcing. Oh, Jesus which, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine today's Americans crowdsourcing their constitution. Yeah. But I think that there's potential for intelligent people to, to do something like that. So, Man, 
<laughs> well, Anders, thank you so much. We're coming up on time here. We um, may not have answered all of the questions that we would raise to, to start this business, but we've certainly asked a lot that will get people thinking about this idea. And can you talk a little bit about how questions like this may have germinated in uh, or led to a good company? Yeah, so basically we started, and I think this everyone starts the business to solve a problem they see for themselves or a fear they have for themselves. So we started a good company actually just for the reason like 50 yards behind this wall where we have like 10 cows. So a few years back, due to it was so hot, they couldn't have the well dried out and the grass was burnt and so on and so forth. And I think with all of this was to see if we can figure out a better way to ship things. So that was the thing since I've been doing e-commerce so long and I know that there's a massive problem sending things. Even though if you have a positive innovation with something, let's say that you have a good product, but you typically send them all around in plastic and cardboard and so on. So that was like the original idea of a good company to see could we solve on a broader scale one of the major problems with e-commerce? Could we start sending things in a at least a neutral manner? That was also for my own panic. I was giving like once a week I have to take a like a truck, go down and just put away recycling cardboard and plastic and so on and so forth. So I hope that a lot of people are thinking about these kind of things which we are doing to some extent very automatically with our daily lives and think about could we change these behaviors and that's what we are trying to that's what I'm spending a lot of time on a good company and a lot of these wild ideas are never going to turn into light but some are actually quite okay and then we are scaling and capitalizing on these and the others must also be there since otherwise you cannot you cannot only find the winning ideas you have to be wild and think about all of the major things well i was particularly inspired in reading your interview on starter story which we can link to this isn't a small business that you started you were doing 220,000 a month in revenue at least at the time of that interview so that has to be yeah we're doing a little better now <laughs> That, that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing that you've taken an idea that's not only positive for the world and uh, turned it into a very lucrative business. So hopefully that's inspiring to the listener out there. I'm sure that it is. If you are on board with this mission that Anders has laid out for us to the listener, take some action, follow through on some of the steps that we've outlined, do some of the research that we've talked about and email us at update at runwithit.fm. Tell us what you've done. Everyone who responds will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers, and one lucky listener will earn a free mentoring session from Anders and potentially a business partnership on this new idea. He'd be a perfect person to work with on this idea, given his experience with a good company. He's obviously very passionate about it, and he's been quite successful. So it's a fantastic opportunity to the listener out there. Anders, thank you so much for the conversation. We've really enjoyed it. Where can people go to find out more about you? They can go to agood.com. That's our major website, and they should especially read about our foundation, which is our most important thing, which we are doing and the thing that I'm actually the most proud of. So the, the more we can grow, the more we can offset to our foundation. So that's the thing they should start reading to, and then they can experience the products and the other things that we are doing. So a good.com is a good place to start. Great. Looking forward to hearing from the listener on uh, 
on the actions that they take forward and connecting with you down the line. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. It's a pleasure. It was the best hour in a few weeks. <laughs> Great. Glad to hear it. All right. Take care, Anders. Thank you, guys. Now it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.